Hey, it's Pretty Little Grown Men. Hello. Welcome to this awesome podcast we have. It's it's the best podcast there is. <laughs> yes. And it has returned. We're going to uh, prove that with this episode. <laughs> uh, unlike what Pretty Little Iris did tonight, <laughs> or on Tuesday night, but just watched by us tonight, which was not, not look very good. Yeah, I think that we can... Uh, We've kind of already given our opinion about how much we're looking forward to this season by the fact that we didn't exactly struggle to record this episode on the night that the episode pre- premiered, Tuesday night. It's Thursday night. It is it is now 48 hours after this episode premiered. Well, that's true. But something important was happening on Tuesday. Um, I can't remember what. I wasn't here. Oh, you weren't here. That that was the important <laughs> thing. We were waiting for you to return to Portland so we could so we could tape. Um, and I had plans yesterday, so that is why. That's the real reason we're delayed. Um, but also, this episode, season seven, episode one, was really bad, and I think we both hated it. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Well, I, I think hate that, to say it. Can uh, I think we can we can basically say that. Um, we weren't exactly looking forward to this new season, uh, not because it it looked particularly terrible, and not because the season ended in any kind of disastrously, you know, uh, atrocious way. I don't. I don't know. I, I maybe just the magic is gone. Would you say that, Dave? The magic is gone. I think it did end in a pretty atrocious way, though. Well, maybe that's true. That's that's what I... You know, they introduced this new character, the secret twin, Mary Drake. You establish um, Allison's doctor husband as a villain with a British accent for some reason. Yeah. And then you have all this, like, uh, pandering shipper stuff with uh, Caleb and Hannah kissing and Arya sleeping with Ezra again, and all this, like... You're right, it was fucking stupid. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you actually, me. <laughs> actually, to be fair, despite hating Ezra, I thought their connection actually made narrative sense. Mm-hmm. I thought the Hannah and Caleb stuff was not really set up, especially in the same episode when you have, like, Spencer walking around in the finale... You know, just walking around in her underwear or whatever, and Caleb's like looking at her like, "Yeah, this is great. Yeah, yo, really, really, really making I a good decision. Making good decisions here." Yeah. Um, and then you know, five minutes later, he's like, "Oh, but Hannah, my one true love." Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, bro. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me. No. Season seven, episode one, TikTok bitches, written by uh, Marlene King, and. Special guest, Sarah Shepard, the creator of Pretty Little Liars. And yet, we hated the episode. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel bad. I feel bad that I hated it so much. I mean, I, I don't. Um, the episode started in such a clusterfuck, and it never once collected itself from that point. Right. Um. I mean, previous uh, previous seasons past have started in such a frenzied manner, but this season just felt so off, um, or this episode, and 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 I'm guessing now this season because of the way that this episode uh, progressed. I mean, I think you know this is a show where historically we've seen it 
open and close on these big moments that then reverberate throughout the season, mm-hmm. right? I mean, last year, you have Charlotte dying. Um, before that, before the time jump, the big one was the dollhouse where they're all taken away. Um, and they're in there. They are. They were in there for a couple episodes before they escaped, you yeah. know? And you get the chance to really feel that. Um, and I remember at the time saying, man, I wish they'd been in there like four or five episodes and right. have it be really drawn out and horrible, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, which is like the Game of Thrones version of that plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, I thought the show did a really smart thing of having the having them basically dealing with PTSD and flashbacks and stuff like that. And so like figuring out another way to deal with that uh, that drama. But with this, like the whole episode's messy. I hate the new characters. Oh, yeah. it, it all feels like a deus machina. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she finds out Mary Drake comes back to town. Just think about the timeline for a second. Mary Drake comes back and says, well, I heard my sister died, so now I'm back in town, right. which is what she says in this super awkward encounter with Spencer. Uh, girl, your sister died five years ago. Right. You're, you're just hearing about it now? That doesn't seem... That's not what happened. Good point. Uh, yeah, a, a bad plotting point one. Uh, bad, bad plotting point two is Allie gets married to Dr. Husband... Three weeks after her fucking sister is murdered? Less than. Less than three weeks. Right. So we find out tonight, in this flurry of information that we're, that's being revealed out of nowhere, um, that Mary Drake, sister of uh, Mrs. De Laurentiis, Allison's mom, uh, who and so we think Mary Drake now is Charlotte's mom because of records we found at Radley last season. Uh, okay. Mary came back. Took a flight to, to what Philadelphia? Philadelphia from Heathrow. From Heathrow a month before a month before this episode. Yeah. So a week before Charlotte dies, as right. uh, as Toby informs us, giving us a little timeline, which I love. Detective like, Toby. Well, the show never gives us timeline, and I love it. Yeah. I know it's dorky. Yeah. Uh, no, it's true. But yeah, that means everything in in the entire in the season six B, that all happens in a three week period. Yep. Including like. Allison being completely bereft that her sister dies and then deciding to get married, like mm-hmm. to elope with this guy. It's so intense. Elope with this guy who was a incredible point of contention in her already distressed relationship with her now dead sister. Um, and, and now we begin this episode with a uh, cold open, which... I'm sure will prove to not be as uh, chaotic and as sad as it's made out to be. Um, where we see Emily, Arya, and Spencer all sort of crying as they're digging a grave. Right. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And then we get the four days earlier. Four days earlier. So are are we essentially gonna gonna see this this seven uh, A be? just happen over the course of four days? I don't know. That's a great question. Or somebody's going to die. Well, we've already been told via the barrage of completely shallow bullshit social media that there's going to be a wedding this season. There's going to be a death this season. Well, so the show... There's death every fucking season on this show. I'm, like, completely tangled up. But this... Okay. So this season is going to be just a total hot mess, I think. It's a complete crazy soap opera now, and um, 
I don't know if I have the mental energy to keep I'm going to keep watching it because of course, uh, but I don't know if I have the mental energy to try to like detangle all the plot points for you. Wonderful people. If you are also feeling fatigued, please let us know and we can all commiserate about this together. Um, but just to do the proper recap, I totally forgot already, but the show opens with, (laughs) uh, yeah, the three liars, not Hannah who maybe is dead. Who knows? Um, and somebody's talking about Spencer's talking about murder. We had an elaborate plan, and then it ended up being a murder. This is yeah. This is this is where we thought it might get. So we don't know if like that's that. the same plan, the plan from last mm-hmm. season, which they were going to try and catch a, yeah, or some new plan that's going to spiral out of control in the future episodes. Probably the original plan mm-hmm. that makes the most sense, right? So does Hannah die? That doesn't make sense. No, I don't think that Hannah. They're dies. not going to kill Hannah. No, they're not going to. Um. I don't think I don't I really don't think the show has the balls to kill Hannah. Um I mean everything is always like, nothing up to this point has ever proven to go so sharply against the norm that it can't be totally retconned anyway. I think that like within this first episode not only uh is suddenly Caleb like the worst fucking boyfriend on planet Earth uh who is who has within the course of 42 minutes become possibly the worst up, worst character on the series ever who is just a uh fucking void of stress and uh adult anxiety when it comes to just communicating with his girlfriend who is only acting like a person who uh had Caleb's penis inside of her not 24 <laughs> hours before Jesus <laughs> fair enough um yeah, Caleb's really garbage in this episode. He's completely panicked about Hannah. He obviously is not going to tell Spencer that he and Hannah kissed before she was kidnapped. So he's just <laughs> he's just a whole big ball of stress right now. Um, but he also does the fucking lone wolf thing that he was doing in season 6B mm-hmm. and the hubris thing where he's th- he thinks he's smarter and more more heroic than everybody. And this episode ends with him going over and dropping off Allie's sweater or someone's sweater, Allie's, but someone was wearing it uh, to the church the night uh, Charlotte was killed. And he drops it off and presents it as the evidence for this ultimatum that A, sorry, it's AD now. Yeah. That AD is asking for uh, them to solve the murder of Charlotte's murder in 24 hours. And uh, everyone settles on Allie for some reason. Yeah. So, yeah. So, exactly. So, Caleb dropping off the sweater as evidence of Allie killing Charlotte is the 15th thing that doesn't make any sense in this episode. We begin uh, with the fact that all of the remaining like liar crew, uh, who isn't Hannah, who are trying to rescue Hannah, they're told that they have 24 hours to give AD the real killer, otherwise Hannah is going to be sacrificed or whatever. Uh, they discover this by going to the church where Charlotte was killed, finding a very realistic doll that turns out to not be Hannah uh, in some sort of like... Wearing one of these like perfect Mission Impossible Hannah masks. Yeah. I mean, not only is that like... It's it's almost like David Lynchian and how weird it is. If it, if it wasn't so hilariously stupid, it would be creepy. Well, okay. So something we talk about occasionally on this podcast is like the differences between the real world technology and like 
the rules of the Pretty Little Liars universe, mm-hmm. right? And one of them was in this episode, everyone gets a text. They get an A text. Some of them get iPhone or i i watch text. Yes, yeah, some of them have fucking smartwatches. <laughs> whereas, hey, guess what? Two minutes ago, at the end of season six B, nobody had a smartwatch. Yep. What the hell? Mm-hmm. And it's it, it was so funny because like, oh, you can tell it's a new season because they have smartwatches and Spencer's into like this crazy language app and has learned three languages. And it's like, wow, all this time really passed in the fifteen seconds that we didn't yeah. see these characters. I know. We're supposed to believe that Spencer is like obsessed with Duolingo now. Uh, but so they they figure out that it's not Hannah's dead body. Um, and then they all get these, this text. It's told they have 24 hours. And then the show does what the show does sometimes, which is despite the fact that it's an insanely popular show with an, incre- an increasingly large budget, it uh, – somehow like it gets stuck in draft mode and so they put this like iMovie timestamp on it repeatedly to show you that they only have 24 hours and the ch- just it looks so chintzy and half-assed uh it's just i think it's it's a small it's a small thing to pick at but i think it's indicative of the quality of this episode mm-hmm. which feels very very thrown together um you know what i think now that they have um super realistic Mission Impossible Rogue Nation masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlotte's not dead. I totally agree with that. Because you could pretend anyone's dead and put one of these masks on mm-hmm. them and just be like, you know, because Toby identifying who identified the body. Toby was totally fooled and thought Hannah was dead. Just hang in there. Right. It Just put a, slap a mask on a lady in a blonde wig, you know, yeah. or whatever. Like Apparently so, there's just red fucking sweaters all over the place. So we have no... I don't know, man. We have no proof that Charlotte's dead. Nope. Uh, so, but anyway, regardless, everyone's convinced that Charlotte's dead. They think they have 24 hours. So the first thing they do is decide to all get on the same page and hold a little, like, secret ballot about who they think killed Charlotte. Really silly. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. Uh, but for some that. reason, 75 to 80% of them think that Allison killed Charlotte, even though... Last season, there was no no evidence whatsoever, not even an inkling that anyone thought that Allison killed Charlotte. No, zero people thought that. So suddenly we're just supposed to accept Everybody. that everyone is like on board with this idea that Allison killed Charlotte. Right. I mean, people thought maybe Mona did it, which is realistic. Right. I still think maybe Mona did it. Who th- also, who, th- who thought that Spencer did it? Yeah, somebody thought Spencer did it. Right. Mona. I would think that Arya would have done it before Allison would have done it. Right. Well, remember when everybody thought Ezra did it? Yeah, I think I would have still bought that Ezra did it. Right, and then he was like, "No, it wasn't me." I would think that Caleb would have done it. <sighs> there, there was no reason for it to be. Pretty Allie. much everyone in the room who thought that Allison did it, or who or who, who assumed that Allison did it, it, there's more evidence pointing to them having done it than Allison having done it. Yeah, that that completely came out of nowhere. So um, that was just that just I, felt like. Just fucking just thrown in as yeah. a plot device. Yeah, that was extremely sloppy. Hated that. Uh, and then everyone kind <laughs> Hated of it. everyone kind of splits up and goes their separate ways and is trying to solve this mystery. Uh, Caleb or not? They're so whoever. poorly organized. They yeah, all just, just all like running just, around. Yeah, I don't even want to like give you the synopsis because it's all so stupid and silly. Well, but they don't so, really find anything interesting. So, but basically, they you know like Caleb's just like we got to do something. We got to do something. Uh, he refuses to uh, show any sort of restraint or thought 
uh, even though he's supposedly this like genius guy. Um, so him and Mona uh, post up outside of the Lost Woods Inn, which they discover that Mary Drake bought. And then Mary Drake, who has kept her identity secret for, you know, five fucking years her or whatever. Her entire life. Suddenly just decides to just show up and then just be like, well, yeah, no, I'm I'm Mrs. DeLaurentis's, uh twin sister. Uh, also, I I just found out that she's dead, even though that happened five years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, she doesn't say that exactly. But yeah, I mean, she gives the impression that she came back because she found out her sister was dead. And we're five years later. Right. Are we supposed to forget that that happened five years before? Are we supposed to like it it doesn't it it it's it doesn't make any sense. Has she been secretly back the whole time? Maybe. I mean, all we have is that one flight from New York to Philadelphia and before that the passport is full of passporty things. But actually Europe is predominantly Europe as as Toby informs us. Right. Uh but you know, you don't stamp your passport in domestic flights. So it shouldn't even it shouldn't even say in there that she, that she went to Philadelphia. That's a good point. Worst plot ever. Toby's like, well, you know, it's 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 strange. I recognize this passport stamp. It's Philadelphia, right? Right. So yeah. Um, so at some point, at some point, uh, you know, they're all doing they're all doing detective v things. Uh, Caleb and Mona post up outside of the Lost Woods Inn. Uh, Caleb can't an- can't be bothered to answer the phone, even though he's literally fucking sitting there staring at nothing. But he's still bothered by the fact that Spencer can even remotely like, call him. Spencer never once, uh, except for very briefly when they're splitting up in the first place, uh, gives any sort of impression that uh, what Caleb is doing is, I don't know, unacceptable i think regardless of whether or not uh caleb and hannah have a long history together caleb's behavior is is just just straight up unacceptable it's yeah it's weird as he's a gar he's so he's such a garbage person in this episode uh mona mona who is normally like a bright and shining beacon of personality in an otherwise dreary episode is pretty much a non-entity here. Right, just Bluetoothing. Yeah, just just blue snarfing shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Ezra and Arya are still still managed to find time to be gross and um, you know, deeply question their relationship. Uh, Arya avoids phone calls from Liam. Um, somehow the show still thinks that that everything's okay because now Lar- now Arya's of legal age. Um, Emily has an intense moment after sneaking into Allison's room and thinking about their like romantic history. Yeah. Uh. So, uh, Emily decides to go to the hospital where uh, Allison is being um, hospitalized. Course, doctor husband says she's had a total psychotic break yeah she's had a total psychotic break um and uh emily witnesses allison being violently sedated um and she hits doctor boyfriend or doctor husband mm-hmm. uh which doesn't bode well for him here's the thing we see she sees that and then ali or uh aria and fitz see Doctor husband, 
going into his secret stash of, you know, stuff at the foot of the bed that's all locked up and then walking out. Oh, yeah. And no one's no one's going to put these pieces together of like, oh, this seems pretty suspicious. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, he, he outs himself as a villain to Allie at the end of the episode right. while pumping her full of some kind of drug. Mm-hmm. He, like, lapses into his accent. And he's like, karma is a bitch or whatever. Uh, like you, karma is a bitch. Which is so fucking shady. I mean, so this whole episode, we were trying to remember why all this was happening in the first place. And I, I remembered it's because um, Dr. Husband is in love. He fell in love with Charlotte while he was treating her, I think. Or that, some, maybe. That's what happened last season, I who, think. Who can say? Uh, and that, And also then, also Mary Drake is just a crazy asshole i guess well she wanted i think the only things they really dug into at the end were like they were going to take over that foundation and get the money oh that like belong group yeah that like belonged to them or whatever oh that's right yeah yeah yeah. you're right so so it's it's money motivated plus revenge plus yeah because mary like has this conversation with spencer where she talks about my sister poisoned everyone against me yeah you know yeah so we think that we think that uh charlotte is really mary drake's daughter and dr husband was really in love with charlotte um so they think charlotte's dead man i don't know i hope charlotte's not dead so anyway season's boring as hell yeah so anyway emily uh walks up to so emily sneaks into allison's room while allison is totally passed out and sedated uh whispers to an unconscious allison uh basically asking an unconscious person if she did these things if she killed charlotte and then allison wakes up out of a dead sleep and says something vaguely incriminating but not really god forgive me but not really. And then Emily is suddenly convinced that Allison murdered her. So then, em, just to make sure, Emily goes and sneaks into Allison's room and finds a red sweater. It's just, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not even like, it's just a red thing that you could wear. Right, that we don't know if Allie was wearing it or uh, if Charlotte was wearing it. I guess the evidence is that Allie, somebody drove Allison's car back right. to the house. But that could have been Dr. Husband. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who was also there. The evidence is so, it's just so far away from conclusive. Right. But yet, Emily's just like, well, it must be Allison. Oh, right. my God. This person that I love. Uh, it, it must be Allison. And then Caleb's like, fuck, yeah, this is evidence. Shows up. It's just like, I have evidence. Throws it on the ground. Drives away. And then apparently this evidence is so convincing that Doctor Husband is like, "Well, fuck, Allison did it. We got the proof, right?" And now right. I'm gonna now I'm Who gonna he just fake like, married, and I'm gonna reveal it to her, right? Uh, even though the only evidence we have is this red sweater, which maybe has blood on it, like that was supposed to be the evidence that it would have Charlotte's blood on it. Yeah, but but we don't know. No, it doesn't no, look bloody. Nothing, yeah, it was just. It was just the last development in an episode where every single plot point made no fucking sense. Right. I mean, this was like a very compressed episode where three episodes worth of stuff happened. Yeah. And I don't know why they would do that to like get it out of the way so that the rest of the season can do who knows what. Um, I mean, the one main thing is the one other thing is that, well, something else I noticed is that this this episode, you know, there is a shift toward a little bit of a darker 
feeling. We have Allie getting pumped full of drugs by her fake husband, yeah. which is super intense. Uh, and right. she's like, you know, this is both of both her and Hannah's treatment are, are like borderline torture porn, mm-hmm. you know, PG torture porn. Cause we have like Hannah in her underwear in this like cabin in the woods somewhere, uh, being seen in night vision. And at some point being like electroshocked. Yeah. Which is just like, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, not to, not that we needed to see like Hannah being brutalized. I don't be- believe that we needed to, but Hannah being like, sprayed with water and electrocuted which doesn't make any sense because you can you can cattle prod her and electrocute her without spraying her with water that doesn't make any sense uh but also it's just like her reactions are very they're not they're not convincing i guess there's there's nothing about that that made me feel like there's nothing about this whole situation that made me feel like hannah is really in super in in danger well this is a this is i think this is like a little bit of a shift for the show because it's horror as gross out or is like torment versus the kind of horror we've seen from the show before, which is more suspenseful, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, there was, there is the scene where you think maybe Hannah's dead and she's all wrapped up in the, in the church. Uh, and then it turns out to be the doll, which is pretty good, but I don't know. The episode was just so messy and frantic that at no point am I like, this is scary. I'm feeling actual fear because the thing is, and the show knows this because it's usually pretty good at it. In order to have something scary happen, you have to have some quiet moments. Right. You have to have a pause and suspense uh, as opposed to just like, you know, rolling through everything like a crazy, like a, you know, in in the totally nut, nutcase way that this episode did. Well, that's, I mean, isn't that like the basic tenets of horror as well as comedy that you have to have, you have to have tension and because because there has to be a release, the right. whole the whole point of it is the release, and so there you have to build tension. And this this episode didn't have any tension; it was just well, it had like it was just fake... releasing all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it had the fake tension of like the twenty four hour limit, <laughs> right? But <laughs> I don't know. It just a the a the whole a situation has lost the power to scare me. I think. Yeah. Uh, and it has for a long time. And that's really the show's fault. It's just because it's gotten so goofy. It's just not, it's not menacing. Right. Well, I think this episode was trying to pivot a little bit into more of a full on, you know, grotesque sense of menace. Right. Yeah. You know, more, I, you know, I don't know. It's like with e- with each season, with the flash forward, you could see the show trying to mature a little bit. And this is another thing where it's like, oh, we have iPhones and now we have iPhones and torture or i i watches and torture yeah like those are those are the new developments yeah yeah i think that um i don't know the ridiculous of of Hannah's situation so i'll give it i'll give it this i feel like you know we've i think that we should attempt to say some nice things about this episode uh, oh we have to say one more bad thing which is the quote unquote dream sequence i was just about to say something about that yeah. oh yeah well that's like clearly Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. Yeah. Before we say something nice, yeah, we can comment that, you know, there's this dream sequence where Hannah is, uh, quote unquote, visited by Spencer, by her brain version of Spencer. And Spencer's uh, big, you know, uh, elucidation of Hannah's situation is that um, if Mary Drake can get in, then there must be a way out, which is. It's. I think it's insulting to everyone watching this show to think that that's like some sort of um, 
eureka moment that like that a cage or a place where you're holding somebody that because someone can get in that means that there's like no fucking shit and the the point about that is that hannah has this like well if if you know oh I, i get it like i i i need to find a way out like if someone can get in then there must be a way out it's like Obviously, and the the way that she finds out, which apparently is she snuck through the the vents, which they don't they conveniently don't show because it's doesn't even look like Hannah would be able to fit through the vent, is uh, Mary Drake wouldn't have come through the vents. Like it doesn't, none of it makes any sense. Well, right, we see somebody, we see a secret person, presumably Doctor Boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, come back and just open the shed. Yeah. You know, he just opens the door. So the advice of fake Spencer, who uh, is like pretty obviously Mary Drake in a fancy mask. Right. And not a dream sequence. Yeah. I mean, the whole setup is to me is Mary Drake getting Hannah to figure out how to escape so that they don't have to kill Hannah. Um, but that they don't have to reveal who they are, that they don't have to reveal themselves either. Mm-hmm. So they set it up so that she can escape and be rescued by Mary Drake. And then Hannah will say, but Mary rescued me. Obviously, she wasn't Spencer wearing a mask. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's so stupid. It is very stupid. And so just like predictable now. It is. It is. I mean, I when 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 Hannah ran and saw this car, it's like, that's obviously going to be Mary Drake. Like, that can't be anybody else. And, of course, it was Mary Drake. Um, so the one good thing I will say is that... Uh, the acting on be on behalf of uh, Ashley Benson, I thought was pretty good. She was uh-huh. doing the she was doing the best that she could given the material that she had. I think it was a new challenge for her, um, and she did pretty pretty well. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that like the ensemble cast are you know that they've got these characters down. They understand what what the show demands of them. I just I just think that the writing on this episode was just like fucking terrible. It was so bad. It was these the characters became shells of who they were. They all of the development uh that that was I think very positive in the last season as far as pushing these characters 5 years forward was just like totally stripped away in this. Um all of the, all of the maturation that uh, Arya and Ezra had is totally fucking out the window. All of all of the uh, development between Caleb and Spencer is like practically non-existent. Uh, you know, like what about the fact that Toby is like basically engaged now and um, right. Right, and he's and just like, kind of like helping everybody out, risking his job. Yeah, risking his like not none of this makes none of this like if you want us to care about these characters, this episode did the opposite of that. Right, every I totally agree. Everything's been thrown under the bus, and here they all are running around like the Scooby Doo gang, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just like, man, none of this, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, and I mean like. Even even the idea that that Mona is kind of this half villain all the time, and you never really know what's going on with her, that didn't even matter in this episode. She was just like another player who was just like just sitting there, blue snarfing, 
basically being told to shut up by Caleb. Like, and even even the even like the the weird like condescending dynamic between Caleb and Mona is so against who Mona is as a character. Right. Like Mona. The character that we've known up until this point should have turned to Caleb and like, shut the fuck up. Like, don't talk to me like yeah, that. Yeah, she like absolutely outclasses him. And, and Caleb's like, don't tell me to shush. It's like, it's yeah, like, yeah, shush. Stop talking. I'm trying to fucking hear this thing that I can barely hear in the first place. And you're just yammering about yammering on about shit because you can't just accept the fact that uh, you're still in love with Hannah. That like, like right, right. fuck you, bro. Shut the fuck up yourself. Yeah. She needed to give him some more sass than she did, which made made no sense. Yeah, Mona of last season, Mona of season six A and B, would have stood up to uh, Caleb's bullshit. Yeah, it's true. And now she's just eating it up, just like, oh, thanks for letting me in on your on your little Scooby Doo investigation, guys. Right. Thanks for le- letting me sit in the car with Caleb for seventeen hours. Right. I mean, that's the thing. They're just like driving around together, just <laughs> like Caleb. And then you know when Spencer calls. Caleb is like, can I bring you guys some food? And he's like, I'm not even thinking about food. It's like, dude, you would be really hungry at this point. <laughs> yeah, sorry if I interrupted you staring blankly at a at a fucking unmoving door for the past 10 hours. Yeah. It's but. all a disaster, and I don't see what the end game is. We don't know what's going on with Sarah Harvey. We don't know who... Oh, really, yeah, where'd Sarah Harvey go? She disappeared. We don't really know what happened with Charlotte. Maybe Sarah Harvey ends up being a whole big dodge, which is like... Horrible and stupid, if that's mm-hmm. the case. I don't know. Where's the, really where's the detective? What's her face? Where's Where's Mike? Where's Mike? Yeah. Where are you, Mike? Yeah. I just don't see a way forward for this show where any of this becomes interesting again. I hate, and like, it's crazy that the show really pooped its pants so thoroughly over the course of like two episodes, but that's where I really feel like it is. Oh yeah, no. I think that it's 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 definitely pooped his pants pretty hard. Dave, you have to say one nice thing about this episode. I thought Spencer uh, Troyan did really good acting, uh, especially <laughs> when she was facing uh, uh, Mary Drake. Mary Drake, yes. Yeah. Good facial expressions, good good emotion. Um, can I say one thing? I I also hated. Yes, I mean. <laughs> To add to the bunch, uh, yet the show's uh, yet again the show's reliance on a on a atrocious cover. Oh, I actually thought that was very OC of it of them to do like, you know how not a surf covered if you leave. It reminded me of that, but it's a complete misunderstanding of the song. Yes, I mean so there in, was a in cover... like a really in such a like just such a fucking tone deaf way. Well. The funny thing, I don't know, the show uses music in funny ways. Like, they have this cover of uh, The Police's I'll Be Watching You mm-hmm. by some artist. We'd have to Google it. Sorry. Uh, it's not a very memorable cover. No. But they have this cover that clearly like has been done for the show, and you get just like a few seconds of it in the background, whereas like this intense folk song... When that Arya hears on the jukebox and has to like run home to Ezra, gets like this like nice big play. Mm. I don't know. I, I you know I think the show is always done kind of a. Was mediocre... it the same song or is it two different songs? No, no, it's two different songs. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. The, the 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 I'll be watching you. I mean, it's it's crazy because, like, you know, it's the the cover is played as Emily is remembering 
uh, her makeout session with Allison. Right. Um, and what's really strange is that, you know, not only is it a song that's like ex- very creepy and, a, and, a, and like know, perfect my, for PLL villainy. Right. PLL. Right. But it's being used to the extent that it's it's a song about it's a love song. And what's really crazy is right before um, we see the, like r- during this flashback uh, when we see. Allison, you know, sort of turn over in the in bed to face Emily and they start kissing. As Allison's turning over in the song is when it gets at its creepiest, which is when Sting in the original song says, You belong to me, which is sort of like the like the epitome of him admitting that it's like this sort of weird stalker song. Right. You which know? should really be applied to different characters. Right. And it's just like I just I feel like this this sh- this episode just epitomized how maybe I don't I don't want to make too much of an assumption, but I feel like the writing of this episode is a complete misunderstanding of everything that these characters have gone through in the past maybe season or, mm-hmm. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would almost even compare it. This is, might be a stretch, but I'm willing to go there. I would compare it to the way that George Lucas completely misunderstood his own universe when he made the prequels of Star Wars. Oh, that's a crazy stretch. We got to give it like two more episodes before <laughs> we make that comparison. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that's, I'm right. That's some, that is some dark shit. But Even. just like a complete misunderstanding of everything about this universe, right? Or a, or like a rebooting or a, a restarting of it. I mean, I I I don't blame Sarah Shepard because you know she had her own universe, and then basically Marlene King came in and and you know just you know bent it to her will. I blame Marlene King, right? I think that Marlene King doesn't know what the fuck she's doing with this anymore. Yeah, that's what it seems. I like. put this on your shoulders, Marlene King. On yours. Oh, come well, at me, bro. <laughs> yes, come at this podcast. <laughs> if you and actually, Marlene, if you'd like to come on our podcast, we'd, we'd love to have you. I mean, yes. Uh, and maybe there is, I'm sure there is some grand plan that wraps us all up. But like, as we saw with the big Charlotte reveal, you know, hey, that was rushed and it was pretty messy and it wasn't yeah. done in the kind of deliberate I don't know. The show has just done a really bad job of having its climaxes in the last couple of years. Yeah. Whether it's like Charlotte was going to blow up a building, which seems really stupid, or, um, you know, the 24-hour time limit with this. Like, it just sets up these scenarios that should be way more high stakes than they end up being. Mm-hmm. And they end up just feeling really fizzled out as opposed to the actual horror uh, and the sort of suspenseful, low-key stuff that the show does really well. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking now that you mentioned the word horror? You remember back in the day, uh, before we jumped five years forward, before we found out that uh, that uh, Charlotte was A, uh, we used to talk about the deeper themes of the show. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> and how... Um, you know, it was about it was about playing with uh, tropes of, of of slasher movies and tropes of horror movies and and tropes about of, tropes of teen teen movies yeah and about of, and about growing up right and exactly the horror of growing up and it's just like that's not the case anymore 
and maybe that's maybe that's the grand shift is that you know back last season you can go back and listen to our episodes um when they when they shifted five years forward i think that we were pretty optimistic um i think we had a pretty uh a pretty optimistic attitude about where the show was was going um which you know dwindled over the course of the season well now i mean the message is nothing has changed you are still as helpless and childish as you were before uh adulthood sucks you were still in love with your high school lover you Mm -hmm. know it's like the regression and the throwing out all the development of the first few episodes of 6b uh really it's just like kind of a slap in the face to these characters and to the move forward because it just reduces them all back to where they were Mm -hmm. exactly i think that it's just sort of like all of all of the development all of the all of the thematic complexity that i think i loved about this show it just doesn't fucking matter anymore right it's all just it's just a grapefruit that's been squeezed squeezed out into nothing yeah into pulp and i mean granted when i was little i hated grapefruit and then i became an adult and i like it now but it's delicious right which i think you know it's it's a good metaphor for where we're at with the show just you know something like it's, it's like just a, it's just a rind it's now. just like yeah uh yeah it's just a fucking stringy rind well so, you know, finales and opening episodes, opening episodes, I think, for this show are always a little awkward. Um, they have to kind of get things out of the way before you get into sort of the pacing of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remain curious to see what happens over these next few episodes. Uh, but uh, as as some of you may have heard on past podcasts, uh, my mm-hmm. wife and I are having a baby. Uh, who is due really any day now, but probably probably about a week from now. We're hoping that she'll get here. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to cut into both PLL watching and <laughs> podcasting time for the near future and maybe the future future. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't know that this is going to be our last episode. We're I think that we started recording with the idea that it will be. Um, we might have one more, but who knows? Uh what what we will say is that um we're sorry that we had to we had to end on such a <laughs> shitty episode. <laughs> yeah, go back to uh I don't know when you would go back to, but we really did. I mean, I really thought the show was having a, just a total renaissance for like a four or five episode run in 6B. And yeah. I'm sure if you follow the podcast, you know, you you'll know like which episodes those were. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, um but uh, who knows anymore? I don't know. I mean, I was actually thinking about that uh, at the very end of this episode before we started recording. I was thinking, you know, now that we're not going to be recording regularly, am I going to watch every week? Ooh. I don't know. I honestly Ooh. don't know. I'm going to be honest. I mean, like yeah. I, yeah. you know, I I know that I know that amongst the Pretty Little Liars podcasts, we are probably the most critical. And the least devoted to the shipper f- bullshit, the fan base, uh-huh. uh, and that's fine. We accept that we are who we are, and we didn't. We never started this podcast with any other um, any other illusion as as to being as to wanting to be like more accepted by hardcore fans. No, we had no agenda. We just <clears throat> kind of, you know, we started this podcast for fun. Right, and that's why we're going to continue, and and you know we're never we're not going to 
we're not going to say this podcast is over, but we're not going to say that we're going to be back next week for sure. Um, or the week after or the week after that. But uh, if the baby hangs on for another week, we'll probably do next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe not. There's no way to know, and I'm not going to do a little. Maybe we'll do I'll do a two-minute podcast to say, hey, baby's here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See you in a few months. Um, but, you know, I do want to say doing this podcast uh, with you has been a real pleasure. Mm-hmm. I think it's I been – it's just been incredibly – engrossing and uh an intellectual sharpening exercise Mm -hmm. to go back and forth with you and to look at this show so thoroughly every week because you know i've never done recaps i've never i uh well you know i actually was recapping loss for my blog for like a month and then i stopped yeah uh but it's hard work yeah it's a lot of work and to go so in depth the way we have and to like have things carry across from season to season Mm -hmm. it has made me think a lot more critically and uh, carefully about media I'm consuming, and uh, that's been, I think, a really great experience. I think that's an important point, um, and maybe this is something that's been sort of a, a through line through uh, all of these episodes that we have. Is you know, I think that one thing that we've done is have opinions about everything, and one thing that I'm starting to really, really think about crucially is. Not necessarily that I have to have an opinion about everything, but um, to what extent do I really need to to devote time to that? And I was thinking, like, especially like now, for example, um, the 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 shows that I'm watching, especially now that I'm like, you know, you're having a baby, I'm planning a wedding uh, in a month, and congratulations, thank you. Congratulations on bringing a human it's a good into time. the world. It's a, yeah, it's an it is. Yeah, time. but you know, but like, I think that you're you're similar in this way that like, I felt like I had to like if if something was being talked about, I had to consume it, mm-hmm. and and that was the case when I was you know single or just dating people, you know, and living by myself, and and now that now that I have someone that I share a TV with. Uh, someone who doesn't want the TV on all the time, who someone who, who like, you know, is, doesn't care about what most people think about what's popular. Um, you know, like there are a lot of shows that I'm like, I'm trying to put time and effort into consuming and I have to be much more choosy about it. Right. And I'm realizing that like, that's, that's not a bad thing. You know, right now, <clears throat> I'm uh, very, very, very slowly, and I know you just watched this, very slowly making my way through the new season of Orange is the New Black. Yes, we finished. Um, and I'm like halfway through the second episode. Okay. Uh, I've started watching Mr. Robot, which is free on Amazon Prime, which I've heard really good things about. And uh, so, and I'm like two episodes in uh and i it's really good i really enjoy it way more than i thought that i was going to yeah um game of thrones uh i like silicon valley which i still watch oh we quit on that yeah yeah and yeah uh you know it was a you know it was a total revelation bloodline season two on, okay on netflix okay yeah and i haven't even i haven't even remotely watched bloodline well here's here's the thing bloodline was really so thinking about like how this podcast has changed the way I watch TV a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, Bloodline season one 
was very good, but not great. Like, you know, it was definitely trying to be prestige TV, mm-hmm. serious, dark drama, you know. Um, but the characters, especially towards the end, like right around the two-thirds mark of the show, you know, the sort of character who's kind of the villain, his motivations seem really unclear. He kind of wobbles back and forth. Yeah. Um, and there's just a few episodes where you're not really sure why people are making certain choices and the motivations feel really unclear. Uh, and then, of course, it ends with this, you know, sort of climactic setup, uh, this this big exclamation point that kind of sets you up for the next season. And then in season two, you have a lot of flashbacks and you have a lot of sort of meat put back on the bone of some of these characters and a lot of things that didn't make sense necessarily in season one that weren't fed to you immediately. You get it and you're getting it as these other characters are dealing with like secrets and guilt and like are slowly self-destructing in this incredibly captivating way. Yeah. And it's just like, the show opens itself up and improves in such a dramatic way. And if you hadn't, if you had watched season one and thought, well, that was pretty good, whatever. I don't know if I want to keep going or not, uh, which is something a couple of people have told me, like it's almost a different way of watching TV because you almost have to think of season one as like the prologue to season two, which I thought was so much more accomplished, mm-hmm. but can't exist without it. Right. And I mean, binge watching, You know, I don't know if the seasons had come out. I almost wish they'd come out together so that you could watch season one and take a little break and absorb it and then go on to season two. Because having to wait a year for season two to give you such a wonderful, like, bookend to season one, like, I don't know. It's just like you have to wait a year for this. The choices that were made in season one really pay off. Right. And to not know that they're going to pay off. And I think that's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting to is that like this whole idea of binge watching is not, it's starting to lose its appeal for me mm. where oh, I love it. Well, I mean, I like the idea of having it available, Yeah, but I'm not, but I'm much more willing to just watch an episode and then be like, okay, that's it for now. You oh know? yeah. That's not how my brain works oh, anymore. Well, I just think that, like, you know, like for, um, uh, you know, uh, a good example is daredevil. Sure. The first season is okay. Um, the second season, I think, is like doubling down on what the first season promises. The second season is just a, a blowout. I mean, it's just like I I I think that I like it. Um, I kept wanting to watch it, but it's really intense, and uh, it's also I don't know. It's 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 I th- I. It's something that I think that I would recommend to somebody, but you have to get through the first season first. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not something that I would recommend someone watch like three hours or four hours of in a row. Right. Um, we zipped through Orange is the New Black season four in like two days. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's, I guess what I'm saying is that like, I'm not opposed to binge watching. I'm not opposed to having things available. I like the idea that, that like the that I've 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 overcome binge watching and I'm like more I'm I'm willing to be more patient with my consumption. Yeah, no, that's good. That's um, healthy. I don't know. I was reading something that said like binge watching psychologically, you know, you get through it and then you are left you're like depressed because you're out of stuff as opposed to having it there uh, every week. And there was like some basis for it being actually bad, but I find I think I really prefer it. 
I want to just dig in as much as I can, and I hate waiting week to week. Well, what do you think of this idea? So this is something that I've also thought of, was especially watching something like Daredevil or um, maybe even Orange is the New Black, because I, I, I especially think that this sort of applies to it, is gone are the days where you remember specific episodes. Mm-hmm. When an episode is an arc unto itself. Right. Where it's a cohesive unit, you know? Um, because when you're binging something, like you just sort of lose track of where things start and, and stop. Right. Um, and I kind of miss that a little bit. I kind of miss saying like, oh, that was my favorite episode. Right. You know? And and, and that's and that also, I think, is falls to the responsibility of the viewer to be aware of that. Right. But I think the binging sort of contributes to that. And I like this idea that I can say like that that was the ep- that was an ep- that was the episode that I like thought was just such a f- fucking brilliant episode. Right. And I guess that like you know watching Pretty Little Liars in the way that we do, um, which this ep- basically this podcast encouraged me to because I was up until this point I was binging it. And in fact, like I'm, I mean, I've I've admitted this on the podcast before. I've admitted this. I haven't seen every single episode of Pretty Liars, uh, because there was a time when I, because when I stopped when it, when I stopped watching everything that was available on Netflix, I kind of stopped watching the show right. for a little while. Um, and also, like things now on Hulu, they're available the day after. But there was a time on Hulu when they were available like one to two weeks after their air date and so i just kind of lost track of it but um i like that now we can sort of say like this 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 happened in this episode and here are the strengths of this episode Mm -hmm. here are the weaknesses of it um i miss that in a lot of ways i kind of miss that yeah no i hear you i mean i think you know with watching something like orange is the new black or um bloodline i mean Watching these shows, which are made to be, which know they're being made for Netflix and being made to, to be watched in a gush, you know, um, I do think to me it makes them better shows because uh, you don't necessarily have to have the cliffhanger of every episode and you don't have to sort of put everything into an artificial thing yeah. of like trying to lash people on. I mean, they still have, you know, they're still that last, the final minute of the show where they're trying to keep you hooked in, but I think it does take some of the pressure off, which makes the shows feel more natural. I mean, it's, you know, it's more like reading a novel, uh, or reading like a graphic novel instead of reading a comic book every month, Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. like reading, I don't collect comic books anymore. Cause it's the same thing where you buy a comic book, it's 20 pages, you read through it in 10 minutes and you're like, oh, I have to wait another month, you know? Right. And so I just prefer to wait until the, the trade paperback comes out and, gathers you know five or six issues and sit down and take a nice half hour and read it mm-hmm. you know and have get to really sink into a nice chunk of story mm-hmm. as opposed to just like these little tiny scraps yeah you know yeah, um that. so yeah binge watching has really ruined me for regular tv mm-hmm. you know <laughs> i mean if we could watch pll yeah. if they dumped out half a season right now and we could watch it in two days and then have a podcast about it. Like I'm sure we'd feel completely differently about about it than going through it an episode at a time, where it just feels exhausting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, when true. the show is bad, it feels exhausting. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like you know, in the sort of the response of network TV to that, I think is can be viewed most um, plangently in shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette which are 
literally two and a half hours, two hours of network TV um, where they give you that kind of indulgence and uh, they're just fucking filling time. Um, but I think I feel I feel like it's a direct response to this idea where people don't want 20 minute, 40 minute snippets. They want they want they want to binge watch up. It's it's weird. It's like this binge watch attitude that is being applied to an episode. Right. I mean, and you can take it a step further and think of it as, oh, as humans in the 21st century, we all we want to do is sit in front of our screens and get fat and just like mm-hmm. get heart disease and watch these episodes. Yep. Which which I do. <laughs> it is what I want. I find it. You know, I I really love. The thing is, at this point in my life, being like an adult who's about to have a kid, like having a TV show that comes on every week is a little bit stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, if something comes out, a season comes out on Netflix, I can just sit there and watch it and cruise through it in a few days or a weekend or whatever. And then it's done. I've yeah. checked it off. I've enjoyed it. I've had my TV experience. And now I don't have to like think about keeping up with like three or four different things throughout yeah. the week. I mean, right now the only show we watch is uh game of Thrones and now PLL's back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we watched bloodline. We watched uh, orange is the new black. Like I'm watching a lot more Netflix because it's so much more fun to me mm-hmm. to be able to, or less stressful to be able to go through TV in that way. Instead of like, Oh, what's on on Wednesday? What's on on Thursday? You know, I agree. Yeah. I mean, game of Thrones is great because it's on Sunday night. You're not doing anything. It's the only thing we watch every week. Mm-hmm. So it's like a nice treat at the end of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having weeknight television is pretty stressful to me mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird way. I can see that. I can see that. Um, you know, it's it's. I just I don't want to keep up with anything anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying. I want to read less news. Like I was thinking about this in terms of music, because uh, I I'm always have always been really into music discovery and listening to as many albums as possible. And the interesting thing with the music conversation this year, as far as I can tell from my anecdotal experience, everyone is either talking about one album that yeah. takes over the whole music discussion, like. Right. A, Beyonce or Chance the Rapper or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. or everyone is talking about, you know, five or 10 different little albums. And there's so there's either like one thing that you have to pay attention to, or there's so many things happening at once that you can't keep up. Yeah. Uh, And both of those I find unsatisfactory. And you, I guess you kind of have to just find the discussions you're interested in and do your own filtering. But uh, if I wasn't like a hardcore music listener and reader, I would find it extremely intimidating because you look at some of these, if you're looking at three or four sites, you can't really tell like what's going on. If it isn't that gigantic consensus around one, you know, superstar artist. No, I mean, I, I mean, I totally agree. I think that that's why the solution is you're either so plugged in that it's something that occupies a lot of your brain space Mm -hmm. or you have to let go. You just let go. Right. And you just let things come to you. And you latch on to things that, that truly that truly you latch on to. And I mean, I think that uh, a, a perfect example of this year is that um, I don't I'm not I'm not answering. I mean, now that Coke Machine Glow is dead and my my responsibility to music writing is essentially just 
Uh, I write, I basically write hip hop reviews for Flood Magazine, uh, and I write the occasional music thing for Paste, and that's it, you know. So I don't feel beholden, and I do stuff for Willamette Week every once in a while, but I don't feel beholden to being totally on board with stuff that I need to constantly have to like find the next big thing. Right. Um, and so w- I listen to stuff based purely, purely on how it catches me when I listen to it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's why I like, uh, that's why like I listen to like the Kevin Gates album constantly because it's just like, I think it's just really good and I don't want to listen to anything else. Uh, you know, like, uh, or I'll listen to something because I have to, because I'm getting paid to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I haven't done an album review in a long time and, you know, with paternity leave coming up, I don't have to write about anything for a long time. mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't really have to keep up with current stuff at all. And it's going to be like the first time in my adult life where I like probably won't be paying attention for a little bit and I'm going to miss it is good. And I almost thought like, man, I should see if I can get somebody to like keep an eye on Twitter and take notes for me on like what people are, what's going on, like what people are arguing about, but it's not going to matter no. because even in, in trying to write about culture and trying to be super plugged in, if you make those kinds of references, a lot of the, a lot of people who get them are going to be that other handful of people who super plugged in. And it's not actually, I don't know. I get anxious about not, Totally, and you know, I feel like you have to really be plugged in and understand what's going on, so you can be a good uh, reporter or culture critic or whatever. Uh, but most people aren't that plugged in; they do okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it does make you crazy in a way that isn't really isn't necessarily justified. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's something um, so much more. I mean, when when I say like you, you don't have to pay attention and you just you just sort of. Uh, you let things happen to you mm-hmm. and you engage in that way. I mean, that I feel is like getting back to the, like the foundation of why you, you are who you are now in, in this world when it comes to being a culture writer, like what engaged you in the first place that made you want to, to be plugged in, right. you know, right. what are, what are those, I mean, I, I just remember being in high school and like, what are those albums that just like I listened to and I never wanted to stop listening to them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because I felt like they were, they were important to any sort of greater zeitgeist or I felt like uh, they reflected who I am within the culture. It was purely on a very visceral level. Right. And I think that too often you forget what that's like. And to be purely operating on that level as far as someone who consumes anything, especially art, it's it's really refreshing. And and it's hard but it's hard to do now. Especially if you're someone like us where you, you make money off being a critic. Right. Or you make a livelihood off being a critic. Uh it's hard to remember what that's like because you're constantly being pulled back. Where you're like, well, I just maybe I just want to listen to this album that I've heard a million times instead of like, but I should listen to this new thing. Right. I know I should. And it's just like, no, fuck it. Fuck it. 
Just listen to that thing that you want to listen to. That's what your brain is telling you. Just embrace that. Right. Well, and I do think when you listen to something a lot and you listen or you take a break and then you come back to something, you are just going to hear it in a different way and you're going mm-hmm. to pick up little nuances or it's going to you're going to have some you're going to figure out some connection that you didn't have before uh, over the course of the of your relationship with this yeah. album. And um, I think that's super important as a listener and if you were only skimming things, which I do often, you just don't really absorb them in the right way. Yeah, you you don't really hear them in the way that you should or in the way that I think most people actually engage with music, which is like to listen to a handful of things all the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so there is like some need to approximate the normal person's experience, you know? Uh, and part of that, I think, is trying to just listen to what you like and not be not be stuck trying to be on the, the treadmill of new things, uh, which I do really love. Um, I, it's not something I'm complaining about. I take it on right. because I enjoy, I, you know, I don't have to listen to that many things for work. I just want to. Right. And sort of the, 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 the other side of this argument is when someone's like, well, uh, you know, I guess it was kind of like 2016 has been kind of a bad year for music. Whenever anyone says anything remotely like that, you're just like, uh, you have not been paying attention because there is always good music available. Yeah, always. it's true. I mean, to, for me, it's like a question of things happening in genres I'm really interested in or things that are like really ambitious. And like the, the Kendrick album last year was obviously super ambitious and exciting. And mm-hmm. it was a huge relief for someone to make that kind of statement album at the level he did. And I think the Beyonce album this year is pretty close to that level i think it's pretty i think that's a real classic record like pretty incredible piece of art mm-hmm. um i thought the radiohead album was like kind of boring yeah me too i think a lot of it's really good but there's like three songs that at least three songs that i don't need to listen i to went it. back to it and i was trying to find like highlights yeah. and i i had to admit to myself that the biggest highlight for me was true love waits yeah which i don't even <laughs> i like the old version i don't yeah. think the new i think the new version just sounds so strained and like the lyrics sound stupid now yeah. to me. I don't know. I didn't really think it was a great, like it wasn't what I was waiting for. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, uh, but you know, to be, to be honest, I think that like the, uh, the, uh, uh, Kendrick put out basically a, a what demo over like B sides from the Tupac butterfly sessions. Yeah. And what's really exciting about that is it's, it's a pretty cohesive album unto itself. And, I think it's really good mm-hmm. um i like listening to it more than to pimp a butterfly right uh, it's like more it's low key, it's more uh it's no pressure right but i think that it demonstrates um it demonstrates and it demonstrates the power of an artist like him that he i think that he that his it's a this is sort of unrelated to to anything we're talking about but i think that <clears throat> what's really exciting about it is it demonstrates him it demonstrates his whole uh body of work as a very cohesive whole mm-hmm. where it seems to all relate to each other and um it's fe- and and it's and it's really exciting that he's just turned 30 years old and that like he's still got like all this time left to basically just keep developing that body of work i don't necessarily need him to put out another classic album 
but if he keeps operating at this level, he's just going to continue making good music. Right. And it's all going to fit together somehow. And I think he has, what he's demonstrated is that he has a, a, a head for that. Like he understands that he can make statements that keep building on one another. Right. Um, well, I think he, you know, really on every level, I think he is operating on a higher plane than every other person in hip hop right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't listen, you know, there's probably a lot of good things that came out this year. I haven't heard. I probably listened to six or seven hip hop albums this year. Um, but I don't think Kanye is there anymore. Uh, I don't think Drake, I think I really liked the new album, but he's sort of stuck in the, like this, the, this like weird cartoon version of what Drake is supposed to be. Uh, and didn't really progress at all. Well, I think that uh, that's a good point. Uh, the I think that both Kanye and Drake are operating on cartoon versions of who they are. Right. I think that I mean I liked it, the life of Pablo, but that's a cartoon version of Kanye that I think works. I think the cartoon version of Drake is boring. Um, well, the bummer about Pablo is that you know all the songs Kanye put out in the run up to it were pretty good. Like mm-hmm. most of them were good. Yeah. Um, and the two of the highlights for me are, you know, real friends and no more parties in LA. And like, these are, you know, especially real friends and the song he did about his daughter that he put out on new year's, uh, I guess already like a year and a half ago, you know, those were songs that really felt like a transition and a maturity and that, you know, ultralight beam also sort of addresses. I I really love that song, but then he just sort of regresses back. Yeah. And it's it's not, Like, to me, this album, if you look at his albums as sort of, like, each one is, like, this this sort of its own little concept, conceptual thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with graduation going onward, like, the new one feels like it's supposed to be the gospel ascendance after Jesus, which is, like, the album about basically being a devil, after the album of, like, uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which is him, like, as a as a mortal man grappling with all this stuff, Dude, grappling I with think... angels and demons. But I think the new one has so much of his old bullshit that it doesn't transcend. It doesn't take you to that. He like has not become the saint like figure that he wants to be, and mm-hmm. uh, he's still Kanye. Yeah. And so it feels like in the sort of TV character arc of it, right? right. Like. Well, it's shitty because he hasn't grown up. I, I, I had this idea, and I this is when I, I reviewed The Life of Pablo, uh, and, I, and I think this is a fun idea. I don't, I mean, it wasn't like this like deep thing that I really got into, but um, the idea that uh, the past three albums have been sort of his, like, his, the, the, the realization of his God complex, where um, he made an album to represent the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is... Uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, which is sort of like populist masterpiece. Uh, the sun is Jesus, where he has to directly. It's it's his, you know, it's like his gritty, human, dirty, messy album where he deals with like just being a, a fucking dude. Uh, and then this is like his attempt to represent the father, um, like the the you're like the like the the ascended god of what what he's trying to do mm-hmm. now in order to accept that you have to believe that he uh, somehow achieves that or at least achieves it in his own head uh with the life of pablo um but i think that he's that's what he's trying to do where he's trying to sort of say like 
I think that he thinks that he's reached this like new plane of existence that he's operating in a way that most people aren't. Um, and I think that maybe he is to the extent that he doesn't have any self-awareness of, of the fact that he's a human being, uh, who is making music for people who aren't Kanye West. Right. Well, I think the other thing he tried to do with this album is scale back and return a little bit to, you know, the Kanye anthems that people liked in the first place, Mm -hmm. uh, and not be as conceptual. I don't know. I think he was just trying to, he, it feels like a very distracted album. It feels like he was trying to do too many different things. It's not coherent to me. A lot of the lyrics are bad and just the gimmick of like having it be unfinished, updating it several times, like the whole idea of a living album. I don't think that was really like an intentional artistic statement. I just think that was him being sloppy. You know, I like the idea. I don't, I like I don't the think idea it's really. It. Yeah, go ahead. No, I like the idea of it, but I I agree. I don't think that I think that it's just him being obsessive about it. I don't think that it's like, I don't think he went into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to keep changing this and this is going to keep evolving. Right. I think the whole thing is a big messy accident, mm-hmm. and right. so I'm like reluctant to sort of. I mean, you see like how you see the critical group thing happen where everyone's like, Kanye's a genius, so everything he does must be intentional and genius. And so let's give this all the credit. And the same thing with like the Radiohead album, which everyone really liked. And I was like, you know, I'm about as big a Radiohead fan as it gets. And like, I don't know, a lot of these songs are boring. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. Like it's a relief that they did such a nice job having having big arrangements and stuff Mm -hmm. and having real pop songs after the last record which mm-hmm. was so minimal but i don't know it's not a top five radiohead album like pretty mm-hmm. obviously to me yeah. uh, obviously other people have different opinions but i do wonder if there's like that pressure of like oh it's an event thing by this like name brand person we can't really dig into it yeah. and then like a band like animal collective will put out a totally satisfying animal collective album and all of a sudden it's like no they suck now yeah. And it's like, I just don't understand the herd mentality or I, or I don't understand other people's taste, I guess. Well, I think that it has to, that every album that has any sort of, whether it's a surprise or there's some sort of hype machine behind it, there has to be a story attached. And Animal Collective doesn't have that story. I mean, you could probably point to James Blake, who is on pretty much every major uh, R&B or hip-hop release to come out in the past six months, but the, his own album, people listen to it, but then it's just like it's done. No one, no one's talking about it. Anymore. I still haven't listened to it. Oh, it's 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 half an hour too long. Yeah, um, but it's exactly what you would expect. It's it's good, but it's nothing like revelatory. I don't know. Yeah, I think I don't know. It just feels like we're to a point with everything, with all these streaming services and everything in competition, where everyone just kind of has to be your own spirit guide a little bit more (laughs) and just kind of figure out how you want to wade through music fandom and how to keep up with things that are worthwhile. And because it's just like, it really is just impossible and overwhelming to try to do it in any kind of, to read one publication or follow the right blog or it's just going to, you can't do it. You just have to really cut through it yourself. Yeah, I agree. Um, What I will say is that, I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that uh, uh, Boogie, the rapper Boogie, yes, puts out a new mixtape tomorrow because oh, uh, is that supposed to happen? Well, tomorrow is June 24th, and 
uh, June 24th, 2015, and June 24th, 2014, Boogie put out a mixtape. Oh. Uh, he's really good. And he's talked about uh, Thirst 48 Part 2. His first mixtape was called Thirst 48. Super good. Really, really good. Uh, it's on Spotify. You can listen to it. Um, or you can also download it for free. Uh, his second mixtape is called The Reach. Also very, very good. Came out exactly a year later. It is now... Tomorrow is exactly a year later after The Reach came out. He's uh. already talked about him that they're working on... Uh, I think about a week ago, they were working on uh, the uh, po- supposedly the track listing of Thirst 48 Part 2. Uh, there is no other reason to believe why he wouldn't put it out tomorrow besides the fact that it's not like upcoming on Datpiff or anything like that. So uh, I'm crossing my fingers... A very good mixtape by a very good rapper might come out tomorrow. Uh, if not, this he's. I mean, I think he's on. Uh, he's on a major label now, so. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I definitely. He's somebody I'm keeping an eye on. Also, I just reviewed. Sure. Uh, I, we might have badmouthed him in the past, but I thought that it was a phenomenal new album. Is the YG's new album? Oh yeah. It's really good. Okay. Really good. I just reviewed it, so I just spent like a few days just listening to it. Um. I was also, I also, uh, complete side note, I was supposed to interview Mitski. Yes. Uh, but uh, I was told that she's burned out on press and doesn't want to talk to anybody anymore. Yeah, she, well, she did. Yeah, there was like the, the three days where you couldn't, everyone was talking about Mitski, and that was like the most important album in the world. Yeah. Uh, and now it'll vanish back. So I listened to it, and I think that there are a few really, really good songs on it. Yeah, um, I think it's really good. It it strikes me as being like the first post St. Vincent album mm-hmm. where it has like a lot of those aesthetic ideas and also some cool lo-fi, uh, you know, bedroom, garage, whatever type yeah. noisy ideas. Uh, I think it's really, really strong. Yeah, I, I like the album. But even though that's like, it's just, it's one album out of many, many great albums that everyone should devote time to. Sure. And so it's hard to say like... Go and listen to this album because yeah, there's five other albums that I would recommend you go listen to right now. You know, yes, I've been listening to just whatever strikes my fancy, and I went through a bunch of old school hip hop, mm. and then I listened to two C and Cake albums today, <laughs> and then nice. I'm gonna go back to old school hip hop tomorrow and yeah. just keep because I, you know, I I haven't listened to a lot pre, really pre '92, and even a lot of the early '90s stuff I'm yeah. I'm missing. You know, yeah, so I saw that you were listening to uh, Jerry the Damage. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think it's like three and a half stars. Yeah, I can see why it's not considered like one of these canonical albums. Uh, but he's really good. I mean, I knew about him from Gangstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I listened to Follow the Leader by Eric B. and Rakim mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. And I'd heard Paid in Full before, so yeah. I was already a fan. But uh, Follow the Leader is even better. And there's like some moments on there where it's like, whoa, this is like Mad Villain's whole style. It's like <laughs> the way he's rapping on this track or yeah. whatever. Uh, so that was really a good discovery. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to dig through different things. And yeah, it's I all think- on Spotify. So it's super easy to just be like, well, I'm going to jump right into this for five oh, hours. I know. I know. It's crazy. And we're also tiptoeing around the fact that. Uh- the avalanches are back this year. Oh, I don't care at all about that. Okay, Dave doesn't care at all. I care. I care because I think that since I left you is a, a masterpiece. But it's uh, fine. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, I think that what's uh, there's something to be said about the fact that what they've released is good, but no one's shitting their pants over it, and it's because 16 years have passed since their first album came out, and they're about to release their follow up album, and it's going to be a very 
competent producer's album. Right. And that's all it's going to be. Right. Well, it's, you know, to me, it's going to be the Chinese democracy of like electronic music mm. because the expectations are so high and they have all these high, high profile guests and the whole weight and everything like that. I thought the first single was awful. I was like, Frankie Sinatra. Oh, yeah, I hate it. Oh, I like Frankie Sinatra. Oh, I think it's like just cheesy and stupid and you know didn't think it was great at all but you know i don't think the first one i thought i think since i left you is good i don't think it's like the craziest thing ever mm. you know i mean uh and one of the guys darren seltman who uh i think is an important architect of their sound left the band so who knows yeah you know what's left i think that's I probably know. true that's why that's why this new one's gonna be like fine it just shouldn't take you 16 years to make a damn record you know it's just like as soon as that happens, I don't know. It worked for My Bloody Valentine. I thought their album was amazing. Uh, but I think more often than not, it's a bad sign. Shouldn't yeah. take that long. Yeah, we're all... But what we, what we the most we should be looking forward to is uh, Danny Brown's new album. Oh, when's that coming out? Uh, he hasn't set a date, but he released the first single. He, now he's signed to Warp, which is pretty awesome. Um, and during an interview, he basically said that he got a lot of influence from the Talking Heads, and so I am a, and that's why I like Frankie Sinatra because even though it's Danny Brown just sort of ripping off a verse, the most like unflashy Danny Brown verse ever. I don't know. It's just like it just felt it felt it felt good to me. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to is the new Danny Brown album, which is going to come out this year. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's he's she's done with it and he's now he's on a major or a major indie label so he's got responsibilities to uphold right right you know well, that's good um danny brown detroit's own <laughs> and, and i mean if we'll we'll see with this new album but in my opinion one of the best rappers currently rapping yeah no he's killer uh well we should probably wrap this one up thank you for sticking with us and also for listening to this podcast. If you've been, you know, I know a lot of you have been listening for a long time. Uh, we really appreciate it. If this ends mm-hmm. up being the last one or the last one for a while, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you out there uh, soaking up our, our brain ideas. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way than to say that our last fake sponsor, uh, possibly for a long time, or maybe ever, is uh, Bell's. Bell's Brewery out of Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, during this during this shitty episode of Pretty Little Liars and this less than shitty episode of Pretty Little Grown Men, <laughs> we were drinking two Artadale by Bell's. Very their, solid. Their flagship IPA, one of my favorites. Um, it's just a nice beer. It's a very nice beer. Um, I have... Uh, uh, as opposed to last time when Bell's delivered a limited uh, stock to Belmont Station, our local favorite bottle shop, they did not include Oberon, which is their most famous beer. Mm. This time they did. So I have, oh. some, I have some Oberons in my, in my fridge at home. That's their, their wheat beer. Oh, okay. Um, which is sort of their famous one that, that everyone talks about. Uh, so thanks bells for being a great fake sponsor. Uh, as always, you can add us on Twitter, PLGM podcast. You can email us at pretty little grown men at Gmail, right? 
I think Probably. so. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, if you'd like to star us on iTunes so future generations can keep up with our PLL recaps. You know what I will say, Dave, yeah. is yeah. Um, if you give us a review on iTunes, I guarantee that no matter when this next when when whenever we have a next episode, no matter when it is, we'll we'll read a review, even if it's a bad review. Okay. We'll read it. Okay. I'm gonna yes. hold you to that. Yeah. Don't write a bad review. No, but if you do, Just, I mean, we we've had one bad review, and I think I, even then I think it was worth reading. <laughs> well, we never read it on air. It's good to have feedback. <laughs> we would like you to give us five stars, and we'd like you to give us a good review. But you know, we'll re- we'll we'll read it regardless. Well, we we love you, listeners. We love you so uh, much, and we wish you the best in your future podcast listening. And hopefully, we will be back to occupy space on your iPhone once more. Yeah. So until next time, uh, happy trails, bitches. Don't cut my secret. If one of us is dead.